Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Is the design of your practice impacting on your success as a practitioner? You don't have to be an interior designer or feng shui expert to recognize when a space feels right. Sometimes you just walk into a room and feel good, like you're meant to be there. Some practice environments and designs strike the right balance between being welcoming and professional. And importantly, this may build trust in confidence and confidence in patients coming into the practice. Of course, there are many examples of the opposite, where the space is a hodgepodge of, a podge of furnishings thrown together without too much thought. And this may reflect poorly on the people working in that space and be a barrier to successful patient outcomes even before the first word is spoken or a spine examined. Well, today we're going to discuss how to design offices that elevate success. This will be critical if you're about to spend big dollars on a new practice space, or maybe you're just considering a low cost facelift. Joining me on the ACA podcast today is Carolyn Bolt. Now, Carolyn is Vice President and Director of Design at Crossfields Chiropractic Office Design in Atlanta in the USA. Her team have been integral in design of many US-based practices, including Life University Student Clinic and Carrick Brain Center. So I'm very pleased today to pick her brain and find out the elements that we need to consider as chiropractors when setting up or renovating our practice layouts. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the design of chiropractic practices. I wanted more people to consider chiropractic as the go-to for holistic healthcare for their healthcare. And um, to make a long story short, chiropractic patient uh, got involved in chiropractic about 30 years ago when my daughter at two years old had chronic tonsillitis and I discovered chiropractic that healed her from that tonsillitis and been a patient. My family's been a patient. My grandkids are patients. Um, started working at Life University in 2003 doing facility design there and got immersed in the business of chiropractic, understanding what chiropractors were dealing with and the pioneers that they are and all that they have. And then just organically came to a point where I could teach some classes to the students on the impact your space has on your success. Totally did it as gratis just to help them. And out of that organically grew into being able to help chiropractors because your space is a direct reflection of you. And I want to people to understand what chiropractors understand. You can intentionally make an impact or if you ignore it, you might be hurting yourself. So that's why we're here to talk about it. So you've obviously had a lot of experience in this area. What are the some of the common mistakes that you see practitioners make when designing the layout of their practice? So there's there's two big parts to the design of a space, and you said it beautifully. There's the layout, which is the functional space, which a lot of chiropractors focus on, and that is important. It's very very important because it's efficiency. 
and it's maximizing their dollars in their square footage, et cetera. So the biggest problem there is just not thinking through and where people are gonna gather and potentially having what we would call bottlenecks. So where people are checking in, where people are checking out, just little things like the, the width of the hallway, is it wide enough that people can pass without having to stop? So those are very simple little things that people just don't realize. Also, um, then there's a whole, whole understanding of how large the rooms are. So the large, if the rooms are not the right size or the spaces that you're adjusting in and practicing in are not the right size, uh, if they're too small, it impedes you and slows you down and costs you money. If they're too big, then you're wasting money. So, so just having, finding the right size, finding the right flow and everything. So that's the flow. And then we say form follows functions. So the form of the space is paying attention to the three-dimensional design of the space. And there's a lot of psychology in the design of the space. So we can go on for days on that subject. So you want to ask me some questions there and I'll be happy to go from there. Well, well it is my, my, my leading question, actually. So I guess we can understand functionality in terms of the flow and movement. Um, but taking that to that next level and that, that the psychology of the, the design. So, so can you expand on that idea a little bit further? <clears throat> okay. So when we think about, so commercial interior design and commercial interior architecture is focused on that business achieving a return on investment for what they've done to the space, okay? So that's where we start. It's not about residential design is very much about a person's mood and image and all of those things Yeah. where um, business design is also about a person's mood and image and those things, but it has to relate back to achieving an income or achieving dollars for that. So if you think about retail, we, we bring in the ideas behind retail design and hospitality. So retail design, if you think about a store that you walk into, that atmosphere of that store, whether it's the lighting, the colors, the finishes, the, the volume of space, all of those things are going to create an impression upon you that's going to, should, align with your expectation of that, what you're going to purchase. Yeah. So think about the difference between that and the United States. I think you have them there, Walmart. The uh, yeah, not so much, but, but, but we know what you mean when you say Walmart. Yep. <laughs> a Walmart or a high-end designer store. The yep. difference between the two and your yep. expectations when you walk in are set and very intentionally set by the design of that space. Yeah. So that's the intentionality of retail design. The intentionality of hospitality design, which to me is very important to a chiropractor, is creating a culture. So if you think about your favorite restaurant and why you go there, mm -hmm. or you think about the place you want to take your family and the atmosphere that that has. So there's an atmosphere that goes beyond just that first impression of retail. Mm -hmm. And those are the two things that we want chiropractors to consider when they're thinking about their space. Is there a, um, a difference between what a chiropractor might be looking for and say uh, a similar health practitioner, a dentist, a physiotherapist, or, or something like that? Or, or once we get, you know, narrow it down to, to health and allied health, um, are the requirements similar across the professions? Um, 
they're very similar. I think the biggest thing about a chiropractor <clears throat> is that your patients are going to come there often versus your dentist. Well, unless you're an orthodontist, I guess, but if you're a dentist, you're there every six months or so. Yep. So it's yep. not that same culture, although yep. it is yep. important. I, I will bring this up is that um, it, a, a chiropractor, if you look back at dentistry, actually, the design of dentist office 20 years ago, they were pretty boring. Yeah, They were pretty basic and pretty boring. And there was this um, movement probably you know, 10, 20 years ago of competition between, between dentists. And there is an elevating of the dentist office experience and the dentist office environment in part of that branding and competition. Yeah. That's the model that we're using in chiropractic. And we're right. believing, so we've been doing this 11 years. We already have seen a movement toward more awareness uh, hopefully we've been part of that and getting that message out, but awareness of your space because you are in competition. You're not just in competition with other chiropractors. You're in competition with other healthcare. You're in competition with the understanding of what a chiropractor is yeah. and yeah. the whole image and the whole um, trust factor for those patients that have never been to a chiropractor. And I guess um, when you're talking about the philosophy of the practice or the main sort of um, goals of, the, of a practice, you we said I said in the intro how you designed the Carrick uh, Brain Center, but if you're designing a family practice, that's going to be a whole different feel to it. So you have to account for those sorts of things, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. So if we if we go full circle and think about retail or hospitality design, the first thing a doctor needs to know is what am I what is my focus of my practice? And what does my ideal patient need to feel trust and comfortable when they're in my space? Mm. So if you've got a sports-driven chiropractic office, it's gonna have a whole different atmosphere that you're gonna do a lot of, if you're doing a lot of, um, you, you'll do a lot of therapy and a lot of training in your practice and you're, or you're focused on sports. It's going to have a whole different atmosphere than if you're very pediatric driven, yep. very pediatric based, or if you're geriatric based. So if you're in neuropathies and things of that sort, you're trying to deal with anti-aging. So you just, you have to start with who is your patient base. And then if you're patient based, a lot of chiropractors have pretty a broad spectrum chiropractic base. But it, it does take you kind of figuring who is your most ideal. Yeah. And then you, then you start there. In your, um, or on your website, you go talk about this six-step approach to your design. Perhaps we can sort of, uh, for, to give our listeners a bit more understanding of the process, perhaps we could go through those six steps. And, and the first one in, in order there is to discover. So when you're working with a client, this is the, the first thing you do to tell us what that involves. So discover, we call it our step one, discover. And our focus at that point is to, to answer the question, what do I need? So discover is very sim very similar to you gathering history on a patient. Yeah. Very similar. We do an intake form, very similar to what you would do. And what we're trying to do is really determine what is that image? What are the square footage requirements? All of those, who's your ideal client? It's an intake gathering. Yeah, Out of yeah. that, we end up with a 
basically a document that reports back to you on this is what you've said. So one of the most valuable things that we do is determining square footage. So we have clients come to us every, we love to see this done before anyone ever looks for space. Mm. Because I would say 95% of the, of the chiropractors that come to us that have already found space, they want more in that space than that space can handle. Yes. Yep. So they have grandiose dreams and they have grandiose ideas or a, a real common one. Well, I'm in 2000 square feet, but I have a lot of wasted space. So I'm going into 2200 square feet, but I want to add four adjusting rooms and three exam rooms. And you start to add up those numbers. So it's a very calculated. We do it in a calculated spreadsheet format to determine square footage. So that's discover. Yep. And that's step, step one. Step two is explore. So the in the sequence of looking for a new space, if you've done discover and you know the square footage and the image that you want, then the ideal thing is you go out to look for different spaces, whether you're looking yeah. for something to build, let's just talk about leases, okay? Yep. Yep. As you look at a space to lease, there is that point between, I like it, but is it gonna work for me? Mm -hmm. And so what explore is, is to really determine um, how that space can be, the biggest thing is how that space can be laid out. And is that going to accomplish your needs? So let's just say you have 2000 square feet on your spreadsheet from discover and you find a space that's 2000 square feet. How many different ways can it be laid out? Is it going to flow for me? Is it going to function? And you want to do that. And then you also want to know kind of how much it's going to cost to do this, mm, yeah. you know? So what we call it is a soft budget. It's usually a cost per square footage type budget. Yeah. But once you've done that, then you can make an educated decision to go ahead and lease the space or not. So it's yep. like a due diligence process. Absolutely. So once you've done your due diligence and found the space, I suppose we go to step three, which is create. We do. We go to step three. So step three is what would be known as architectural construction drawings. So it is developing the architectural drawings, um, the walls, the doors, the ceiling, the lighting, everything that involves that to the level along with interior elements and interior allowances to the level that you can get a good pricing from that document. Yep. So that document is not a complete set of uh, permit drawings. You still have to get what we call engineering drawings. So mechanical, electrical, and plumbing drawings need to go with the architectural to be, create a permit set. But it's that level of basically decisions that are made for the so, architecture. So we've got our drawings. And now I guess we're selecting the furnishings and perhaps mm -hmm. the, the builder and everything else. Is that what step four is well, all about? So step four is very much about selecting the finishes. Yes. So in step three, there are allowances. And in step four, you actually pick those items. So you design the millwork and the architect. It's the part that most people think of when they think of interior design. Yes, of course. It's so, more the decorating part. So I know you've done a lot of work throughout uh, the US and, and, and internationally as well. When it comes to this selection part, I, I've renovated a house, I've renovated a practice that was kind of very hands-on you know you go down to the paint store you have all these swatches and you put all over your walls uh, I, I guess from from a distance point of view um are you does are you very involved hands-on in that or do you do with your clients over zoom how does that work well we everything we do is virtual 
So yeah. we were doing virtual before before COVID. Right. So okay. what, what we do is we have a system that um, we have all of our designers have video cams and a big layout table. So they start first, just like a designer would, to start first by selecting kind of a, a broad range of ideas and showing the client through video, okay? But we don't ever want a client to pick anything from a video screen. We don't pick anything from a video screen. Yeah. So yeah. once that has been kind of narrowed down, a box of samples gets shipped to the client. Right. And then okay. in the next meeting, the designer walks them through those finishes and they're touching and they're feeling, especially if they're renovating, because yeah. they really yeah. need to be in that space, looking at it in that light, et cetera. You've been through that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Look, I, I can remember um, when we, well, this is 20 years ago when we did the major renovation and bought a practice of uh, cutting out all paper um, uh, bits of paper and putting them on the floor, which were going to be where the walls were going to be put in place and just walking around uh, that space. And I would have done it for several, several days before we started doing anything. And uh, I still think in the end that I made some mistakes that I would have done differently once I got <laughs> it all up and going. But mostly, mostly it worked. Uh, it worked really well. So um, number five is to document. So I was telling you earlier that the step number three is basically a set of construction drawings. Then step number four is the finishes and the selections. Well, step number five is taking those architectural drawings that we did in step three, the finishes, adding to it the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineers drawings, and then putting cover pages and documentation on top of it that the city needs, the, or the county, or the municipality. Yes. So what the municipality needs for a permit is not the same thing a contractor needs to build from. So you don't have to wait to get pricing until you've created all of that. But it's the, if you've ever seen a set of permit drawings, it's, and it's always dictated by what the municipality wants. Yes. Yeah. They're called councils in, in, in Australia. And certainly when it comes to things like parking and, and those sorts of matters, um, something that you need to understand fairly early on in the exactly. piece for sure. Exactly. Fire codes. Uh, we call them ADA codes. I don't know what you call them, but accessibility, handicap accessibility codes yes. up there, things of that sort. Yes. And so the final number six design assurance. So design assurance is the, it's now the project has gone through permit and you have a contractor and we also in there can help you select contractors. So that's another part of what we do kind of merge through that process, but you have a contractor and the contractor is actually taking this set of plans as detailed as we can. There's over 6,000 decisions that need to be made in your typical office layout and design, et cetera. So all the decisions are documented and the contractors on site a good contractor will have a system of a head of a head of plans questions. Okay. Cause even though we've documented it as much as we can, the on-site reality may be different. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the um, we've specified everything. We've specified all of the finishes, especially the millwork and things. There's a series of that. Now that millworker or the cabinetry man is going to do drawings to make sure they've interpreted what we've designed. Yep, so there's a yep. process in, in the construction world. It's kind of called construction administration, construction, that part. So you, you went through this, you went through the construction. So it's that between the design and your completion 
there's a lot of questions. Yep. And we are we're here to answer all those questions because we know it intimately. We know, and we so our biggest thing on design assurance is saving the chiropractor time and saving them money on mistakes. Yes. I have lots and lots of examples of where a chiropractor didn't want us to do that last final step and they got all kinds of things that weren't right. They yes. weren't built right, things that weren't done right, et cetera. And that we would see as we go. And we do it all through video cam. And it's especially important when you've got um, multiple trades people working in there and your electrician may have interpreted something a bit different to the carpenter and all of a sudden there's a beam right where there's supposed to be um, an exit for a, for a light or, or whatever it might be. So uh, yes, yeah. those things are definitely- We hope it's not that severe, but yes. we have yes. found, you know, we're the, the, I'll give you a great example. That was a, your electrician. We have an outlet on the plan that's close to the corner and the electrician says, well, that that's not as easy for me to put it as he, right here in the middle of the wall. And right there in the middle of the wall, you have a piece of something going over that, maybe a piece of cabinetry or something. So you can't even get to that outlet. Yes. So those kind of things will happen. Or it's a, you know, just little things like where the thermostat's located <laughs> and where the fire, where the fire extinguishers are located. Yes. If you don't want to, we, we decide where they need to be located mm. to meet code yes. and to look good. So you don't you don't have to walk into another room to switch the light off, do you? So um, no, no, none of those things. So it's just checking. We used to call it quality control, but it got our contractors kind of like, oh, we do quality. So now we just make call it design assurance. <laughs> yes, won't offend anyone that way. Exactly. So I guess most practitioners listening to this podcast um, either already own or work in existing places. For, for those people who may not be considering any kind of major renovation, what are some of the things that you think that they could uh, do now, maybe to walk through their practice and check on as far as design is concerned? Some, some perhaps some low cost, simple things that will make an impact on, on the way they practice and the feel for the, of their space. So <clears throat> I know exactly what I'm going to say because we actually wrote a little e-booklet on it and that's okay. one of those free resources for your, for okay. your listeners. Um, but what the, there's basically five things we look at first. Number one is you need to do it with another set of eyes, not your eyes, because right. you won't see it the same way. Do you know? Advice, yes. So you need to find someone you can trust that will give you an honest opinion. That's it, ideally there's someone similar to your ideal client to walk through the space and give you their opinion mm. on what do they see what stands out, what doesn't work, what do they think? So that's one. Um, number two is just some simple stuff like, is it clean? Mm. Is it clean? Is it organized? Is it full of clutter? You know, I, I, I know you've got the special of the week and you have the special from two weeks from now and last week, but do you want those displayed everywhere? Because people don't see them. Yeah. So you want to be very intentional about what you're what you're promoting and what's important. Yeah. So just clutter, things of that sort, front desks are, are the most important place to be clutter-free because that's yeah. the first thing people see when they walk in. Yeah. And it's an impression of, it's just like, like I was, we were talking a little bit earlier about seeing somebody's dirty kitchen. 
Do you know what I'm saying? It just yeah, gives yeah. you an impression. Yes. Also, bathrooms, make sure your bathrooms are clean. Make sure the grout is clean. Make sure it's clean. So that's number one. Number two is then it's almost like clean, but that's, is it worn out? So chiropractic tables with duct tape on it is not a good impression, <laughs> okay? No, it's no. It's just not. So if it's worn out, if it needs to be reupholstered, if it needs to be adjusted, if it needs to be fixed, that's that's important. It's very yeah. important that those things are working. Are yeah. um, light bulbs burning, et cetera? So the third one would be, is it, um, is that the third one? Whatever I am at now. So is it dated? So yeah. that's another thing is that interior design is just like fashion. Mm. It's going to date every seven to 10 years. Yeah. Going to date. The more classic your clothes are, the longer they'll last you. Mm. But shoulder pads are out. Yeah. They may come back, but they're not in yet. So yeah, your yeah. colors yeah. will date, your styles will date, those things will date. Yeah. And you've just got to build in money to update those things. Yeah. That's just part of any good business's plan of action, especially because your brick and mortar is the package of your service. It is like, it is your biggest marketing expense. So it needs to be considered that way. So, and then the last thing I like to talk about is lighting. So um, lighting can make the biggest difference next to color and paint, um, light levels, light color quality, all of those things. So just considering the biggest thing is if you want quiet in the space, you want the light level to be low. If you want a lot of energy in the space, you want the light level high. That's the easiest thing to think about. But a lot of spaces just come with, you know, two by four ceilings with lay-in fixtures that brighten up the entire space at one swash you can move the fixtures around put recess cans in turn them off and put lamps in things like that to help change the image and the atmosphere as you go through the space mm. and those none of those things that i said really cost a lot of money except it, i don't know how much your updating needs to be how dated you are so it's interesting you've said that we went through a, a, an update when, when i say update you know all new logos new paint new carpet a few some new furnishings um building all still the same and basic layout still the same but um it's amazing how much the patients really love it too and how they say oh, wow this looks greater this you know it was and you will like get often get the get the comment yeah it was a time you guys sort of did something around here this looks much better <laughs> and you go, oh, i didn't think it looked that bad before but there you go those, those there you new go. set of eyes a new set of eyes, new set of, yes, it is very amazing. Um, whether it's a renovation or whether it's obviously a new space, the impact it makes on your existing patients is just amazing. Um, they feel special. They feel important, you know, that it's, they feel valued, a, a lot of that. And then the other thing we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that um, it attracts new patients. Mm. Yep. So it attracts and retains patients is the two, two things. Yeah. Carolyn, it's, I've really enjoyed our chat uh, today and I'm sure our listeners have as well. If you'd like more information about Carolyn and uh, you can check out her Crossfields website at www.chiropracticofficedesign.com and particularly go there to get your free 
ebook that um, Carolyn just mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. Carolyn, thank you for making time all over the other side of the world um, in Atlanta, USA, um, and we've really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it's helped. Absolutely, it has. Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence, and I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.